Hello, how are you doing? Welcome to the podcast, Sport and Life. Recording this on Saturday, June the 6th. May well go out later in the weekend or on Monday online, but I don't know where you are, but the world has changed in uh, Cheltenham. Gorgeous sunshine for two months from mid-March to the end, two and a half months, start of June. But now monsoon conditions just uh, rushed to where I'm recording this in, in an office um, and absolutely the heavens have opened. So just uh, waiting to speak to Dan Lawrence, the head of performance at Matchroom. Looking forward to this one. Spoke to Dan last year. Since then, he's helped steer John Ryder in particular to very nearly winning the world title against Callum Smith. We spoke to super middleweight contender John Ryder last month. and He was full of praise for not only Dan's strength and conditioning regime, but also his nutritional input, the fact that they lived together in the build-up to that Callum Smith fight and indeed the fight before that in Las Vegas last year and how Dan cooked and uh, weighed and measured the food and um, fascinating to get his perspective on, on, on the boxers he's working with and how he's managed to maintain that during lockdown in the coronavirus pandemic and his plans for the future. And I think he does work with private clients still, regular lay people, everyday Joes. So it'll be interesting to see how he's maintained those relationships and no doubt he's been doing a lot on Zoom and I think he's been holding conferences and talks on uh, sports science and exercise physiology. So he's a very knowledgeable guy, very structured, and I hope, I hope it goes the way that he likes because he likes to get a bit of information and uh, detail to give the most value. Um, big shout out to, once more, to the sponsors of the podcast, Bangham Olufsen and Serene AV of uh, Cheltenham, the um, store here. Very much um, purveyors of some of the finest home entertainment brands providing solutions around high quality customer service and installations. That's a spiel, but good people locally with Bang Olufsen equipment and through their kind of brother arm, sister arm, Serene AV, which is all housed in the same store in Montpellier in Cheltenham in the courtyard. They very much um, will offer a bespoke service and, and offer different equipment if they think it's right, not necessarily just Bang Olufsen, some of the finest equipment elsewhere. Good people. Jason Briggs, hopefully on the podcast next week to talk Manchester United uh, from the 80s and all the way through to the, the modern day, no doubt, as well as football starts to come back, the Premier League, not quite as we know it, uh, is it, with uh, behind closed doors. But that seems to be the, the case for the foreseeable in, in lots of arenas. And we'll talk about that with, with boxing with Dan. And shout out to Cytoplan for their support of the podcast, supplement company. We've been taking the supplements for decades as a Draper family. My dad has helped consult and design those supplements. And you can find out more at cytoplan.co.uk. He recommends one called Immunovite, I-M-M-U-N-O-V-Y-T-E. My dad being a general practitioner, doctor, also um, a micronutritionist, has run nutrition courses in the past himself. And he recommends that Immunovite. And if you go to cytoplan.co.uk and you put in my last name, Draper, D-R-A-P-E-R, the number 10, you will get a 10% discount. I did put an Instagram story up actually with the supplements that I take, which is primarily Immunovite Foundation Formula, which is a multivitamin, and then fish oil as well. So you can see that on my Instagram and get in touch if uh, you want more information on my social media, either Ed underscore Draper 81 on Instagram or Twitter, Ed Draper 81, and uh, I'll get back to you. Anyway, I hope you enjoy the podcast. Dan Lawrence, Head of Performance at Matchroom, Strength and Conditioning Coach, extraordinaire, a very knowledgeable man about physical training. Cheers, guys. Hope you enjoy it. Dan, how are you? Very well, thanks, Ed. How are you keeping? I'm good, mate. I'm good. I'm very well. How, how's the whole last three months that's gone in a blur been for, for you? It has, yeah, it has flown by, hasn't it, to be honest? Yeah. And initially, after the transitional period, it's, uh, yeah, it's been good. Um, it was hard <laughs> at first, buddy, you know, transitioning everyone, as you're well aware, I'm mm. used to coaching the athletes in person and, and normal clients in person as well. And I'm a very tactile sort of hands-on coach. And uh, yeah. the transition initially, I thought, what am I doing? You know, standing behind a, behind a computer screen, this really isn't me. I, I don't mm. think I'm going to be going to be coaching my clients and athletes doing this moving forwards. But I had to adapt. And I've got to be honest, it's it's okay now. I, mm. I'm dare I say it, half enjoying it, you know, um, yeah. I haven't got the daily commute into London and, <laughs> and all of the other, <laughs> the time traveling. So I clawed that back and I've, I've put that into other, other things that are important to me. So uh, yeah, w whatever, I don't know what the new norm is going to be. Give it, you know, no. a month's time, six weeks time. I don't think anyone does know what's, what's in store, but I've adapted pretty well, bud. How about yourself? Mm. 
Uh, yeah, well, it's been, like you say, it was, it's a quick adaption. We've sort of been lucky in a sense. We've still gone into work to present at Sky Sports News, but it's, it's been reduced output, so reduced shifts for us. I've, I've sort of pivoted a bit and been doing a little bit of boxing writing from home, which has been nice because it's just nice. been phone interviews with you know, people like um, uh, David Price recently, Martin Rogan, did Dubois and Joyce looking ahead to potentially their fight, which obviously I think looks like it's going to get put back again from from July and when, when that happens. But that was interesting to speak to those guys because that's a big fight. So that's been a new, not my first job was in sports writing. So it's kind of reawoken that, that side of, of sort of my, um, my training. So that's been good, but it's, yeah, it's been surreal. There's positives to it as well. I like spending a lot of time with my little girl. I know you and I have talked about sleep cycles and patterns mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And I've actually found that easier outside of extreme shift work to, to sort of get a regular, a regularized pattern and things. So that's, that's been a, a positive thing in terms of, and working with the guys, are you, t- are you are you allowed now to to meet up with them and do things under the guidance, or is it still not worth your while? You think going going to see them? It's a hard one. I think it's quite blurry at the moment in terms of what what we're allowed to do based on government guidelines. I mm. know one of the gyms that I coach at BXR in London that I see the boxers at on Saturday. They've now taken it upon themselves to move and relocate to a park next door and take equipment out. Oh yeah coach people you know within i think there's certain guidelines you know you've got to wear a face mask but to be honest ed i'm i'm not rushing back into it but i think mm. I, w- I was one of the early on when this this did happen i think i stopped coaching people in person 10 to 14 days prior to them saying you cannot coach people anymore okay just main, mainly as a precautionate measure my, my parents are a lot older and, and not of the best health and i just yeah. thought i don't i don't actively need to be there from a financial point of view so i just think what what am i doing let's let's yeah you know re- reevaluate see what what will be will be i didn't expect it to be this long to be quite <laughs> frank i don't know if anyone did but uh, no you no. know it's been it's been a good period and i i think in, in terms of what I'm allowed to do now, I think that will change over the next kind of week or so. We'll yeah. have a little bit more clarity, I hope. Um, I have actively, you know, been in contact with the fighters. Obviously, the, one of the first things we did was, was set them up with their own individualized program environment app that I use for my online coaching business. Yeah. And, you know, that comes with daily programs, mm. uh, a weekly training schedule with clear focus of, of every given session. It's very self-explanatory, you know, you've got videos on there as well. So it was really, really good for the lads to use and they've been plugging away at that. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's been good. But definitely, you know, chomping at the bit to, to get back in with them, get in the mix and, and work towards our own individual goals again, you know. Yeah, well, you put some great content up at Perform365 on Instagram in particular that, that I watch. And you, you mentioned about being tactile. And I think, was it easier with the lay people to give them kind of, you know, I don't know, do 20 press-ups or a more simpler routine. Whereas with the, the, the boxers winning, you're very, you're very meticulous about the planes of movement and the, the mm. way that movements take place. Was that more difficult when you kind of, like say, watching through Zoom about what, what they're doing? Yeah, firstly, thanks, thanks for your kind words and, and great that you, you know, you've got, got good, good insight in, into that, Ed. But we look at this, you know, we look at them firstly as humans and this is from both an athletic population or your everyday athlete. They're humans first and the fundamentals and principles that I coach these individuals remain the same, you mm. know, whether that be from a movement competency point of view, push, pull, hinge, knee dominant patterns, whether that be like you said there in terms of planes of motion that we don't just want to be up, down, forwards and back in the sagittal plane. We need to be working through multiple planes of motion as humans move 360 degrees, you know? Mm. So the fundamentals remain. And in essence, you're right though, athletes, you know, we do have to be a little bit cuter, a little bit smarter in terms of allowing them and providing a, prof- a sufficient overload stimulus. So to put that into context for the listeners, um, I'll go back to sixth century Greek wrestler, oh, wow. Milo of Crouton. Yeah, bear with me on this. So Milo of Crouton used to carry a calf every single day to his wrestling practice. As the calf got bigger, you know, and it weighed more, Milo adapted to that stimulus and got bigger himself. And he, you know, built muscle, went through mm. the maturation process. That calf then became a fully fledged bull and Milo himself became, you know, this Greek wrestling champion and an absolute machine. Mm. So hopefully that gives a bit of a visual representation to the listeners to say, okay, you need to provide enough of a stressor to allow for adaptations to occur. So I've seen a lot, especially through these times of these home workouts, which look great. Fitness is booming, you know, health and wellbeing is, is huge. Yeah. It will be on the forefront of everyone's minds moving forwards. But, you know, jumping around your living room with toilet roll and bottles of water <laughs> is not going to be a sufficient stressor 
to allow for at worst maintenance and um, you know, sorry, at best maintenance, and then at worst, these people yeah. are not going to improve at all. So uh, yeah, the the main thing early on was getting my athletes, especially kitted out with gym equipment, mm. and uh, you know, props to to one company, Purium Fitness, who've gone above and beyond for for one of my guys, a friend of yours as well, John Ryan. Oh yeah, they yeah they delivered these equipment. They'd sold out online. I, I called in a few favors just to make sure these guys were taken care of. And, uh, you know, because John, as you're well aware with the elite behaviours that he has, he, he wanted to get, get things going and keep things moving and mm. keep, keep moving forward to our, towards our own individual goals. And, uh, yeah, uh, John at Perry and Fitness was absolutely brilliant, giving him some, some dumbbells, kettlebells and plyometric boxes that he's, uh, yeah. he's been putting to good use, you know. Oh, brilliant. Brilliant. That's interesting because the resistance training, I know that um, I think uh, benches sold out, didn't they? And, and barbells at the very, the very start of it. Yeah. People panicked they couldn't do the weights in the gym. <laughs> If people aren't doing sort of weight-based resistance exercise, would you say that in terms of creating that overload, is it incrementally mm. increasing if you're doing body resistance stuff, you know, press-ups or push-ups, whatever you call them, things like that, would you be just trying to add one or two every time you did that in terms of building and, and developing? Yeah. yeah, very good point, Ed. So in essence, the main driver and the main thing that people chase to elicit these positive adaptations to allow for, you know, the Milo crouton effect, the progressive overload is load. Mm. You know, the more weight on the bar generally means I'm improving. Mm. Unfortunately, through these times, unless we're, we're blessed with a fully equipped gym, and I know I'm not, and, and many out there aren't, yeah. we don't have that means to reach the outcome. So then we have to be a little bit cuter and identify what other means can we do and provide upon the system to allow us to improve. So you're right, doing more reps, doing more work, more volume would be one means to do so. Though we can't just, you know, do 100 and 150 reps and just keep progressing that way. So other ways we can, you know, provide a sufficient stressor is maybe manipulation of tempo of movement. So mm. to put this into context, subject A, subject B. Subject A does, let's say, a bicep curl for argument's sake. He comes up for one second and then he comes back down for one second. So he does two seconds per rep. Yep. Over the course of a 10-rep set, 20 seconds of time under tension in total duration. Mm. You then have subject B. They have the same load. Everything remains the same. They do 10 repetitions, but they come down for five seconds. They pause at the bottom for one. Mm. Then they come up for two. So my math isn't great, but that's what's that? Five, six, seven, eight. That's eight, eight seconds <laughs> per rep over the course of a 10-rep set. That's 80 seconds. Well, they've got four times the total duration and time under tension wow. they've placed upon the system. So by you get what yeah, you get so wrong. Yeah, so the tension's the key there, rather than the actual sort of weight that you're lifting or how many times. Than the exercise yeah. and the weight, exactly that. So you can manipulate a number of different variables. You can do pairings of exercises. So whereas before you might have done a squat as a single entity, you might then do you know a squat followed by a split squat. You might do two lower extremity movements paired back to back to again provide that overload. Mm. Um, so there's and there's there's other you know time sets, reducing recovery periods. Uh, other concepts called German volume training and escalated density training where you condense a high amount of volume in a short period of time yeah. have been pretty advantageous. Because I've been I've been one of those those guys and girls, Ed, where I've been struggling. I've got a set of 20-kilo dumbbells, a 120-kilo kettlebell, mm. um, two 5-kilo dumbbells, and uh, what have I got? Like a couple of bands. So I've had to really, you know, think outside yeah. the box because, as you're well aware, training is, is one of my... Still there, Dan? I am. I told you someone called there. That's all right. Don't worry. No, you, yeah, that's interesting because I've, yeah, I've got a kettlebell, an 18K kettlebell, and I've actually got a pull-up bar. What's interesting with you mentioned about how you create that overload is that I have almost a, a sort of homeostasis level where if I start doing pull-ups again, I get to about reps of 10 and almost sort of plateau there. But that, I don't know whether that's a psychological barrier or a, or a, a mental barrier. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's almost like you feel comfortable. That's my level. But obviously, if I can get that 11th rep out, then that becomes you know, a progression. There you go. And look, progression is the driver. And I think you saying there, that's your level. I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to debunk that. I think you've anchored that, Ed, but already you've said that's your level. <laughs> Not at all. I wouldn't agree. I, I think let's, let's shoot for 10. Let's progressively try and layer it and maybe just set yourself a target of increasing a rep every maybe bi-weekly or something like that. Or mm. if you're going to do 10, what you can do is come up, squeeze and hold the isometric position at the top for three seconds and then come down Ooh. for four seconds. So, you know, there's, there's various different ways we can make things yeah. uh, a little bit, you know, easier or harder. Client dependent. 
Yeah, no, it's, 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 a lot of it's been creative, isn't it? So the, the creative element to it in terms of how you adapt. And I think sometimes we're, with the gym environment, when it's, when it's laid out for us, it doesn't engage our brain in the way that the current, the current situation is with everything. Um, when, you, when you deal with the psychological side of this, because I know, Dan, you're pretty holistic in your approach, um, how have you found the difference between everyday people and boxers? Are, are boxers more used to a, a degree of uncertainty from your work with them? Because it's not like a football team where your fixtures are laid out, is it? There's, mm. there's quite often a lot of intangibles in terms of what they're working towards. There are. There's a lot of moving parts. And as you're well aware from you know, your experience working in boxing, it's not like you just get a date and it's completely set in stone. There's so many moving parts, and especially through these times. So, look, mm. I feel for the boxers because, in essence, the strategy normally would be you agree a fight first, you agree terms, you have a date. And, you know, unless something happens from an injury point of view, which does happen, you know, whether it would be with you know yourself or your opponent, that mm. fight's going to go ahead. So you set the date, you reverse engineer the process, you talk to your team, you set the strategy in place, you work through different phases of training with a clear, evident goal of peaking on fight night, and then you mm. get to work. So it's been hard for them also from a motivation point of view, you know, and they won't mind me saying this, they're, they're, they're humans mm. at the end of the day, and it's very, very tough with their training stress. So if they don't have a date, it's very hard to motivate themselves, you know, so that's yeah. where having good people around you. And, you know, I share a lot of podcasts, I share a lot of, you know, motivational tips and things. And I do check in with them very frequently and just make sure they, they do stay on course towards the end goal because they must remain ready, you know, because if they're not doing the mm. work now, someone else will be doing the work. And there's a lot of yeah. work that we can be focusing on, bud. Even if they don't have, you know, high loads or trap bars or safety bars or all of the, the great equipment that we have in a fully fledged gym, we can work yep. on, you know, energy system development. We can build aerobic base, aerobic fitness. We can build robustness around the neck, the lower limb, the shoulders, the trunk. Um, you yeah, know, we can even, which we've had to think outside the box, even do some form of isometric work. I don't know if you've seen some of the work, like some of the guys I've got John Ryder doing is, you'd laugh because yeah. this guy, this is a guy who does a 230 kilo deadlift in the gym, you know, he's, he's an absolute <laughs> machine. Yeah, so. Yeah. He, we obviously cannot replicate that in the environment that we've got. But what we can manipulate is um, is the isometric contraction. So we do something called an overcoming isometric. So, and this will, mm. this will be very hard to visualize for, for the listeners. But you basically get a towel. And in, John, yep. in John's case, a pretty durable towel. You stand, <laughs> stand on the towel. You get into a deadlift position. And you grip the hell out of the towel and rip it up while you're trying to apply force into the ground. Actually, don't wow. physically rip it up, but you get you get my point. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And then yeah. we do a six-second maximum isometric contraction. And honestly, bud, the adaptations that we get from a neurological level, the central nervous system stimulation we get, and the recruitment of the high-threshold motor units, which I call the Ferrari of motor units for my athletes, is, is incredible. So actually, we can still you know, nudge the needle and still work yeah. towards our goals if we are a little bit cute and a little bit smart with our programming, which we have been, you know? Yeah. Has it changed anything trying to maintain their weight through the process in terms of you're not using the, the tried and trusted sort of weight resistance training that you were used to? And is there a sort of danger that some of the different exercises might prompt sort of too much hypertrophy or, or yeah, something like that? You know, very yeah. good point. Very good point. And that does obviously feed in with the nutritional strategy as well. You know, if, they, if they're still in, you know, a slight caloric deficit, then, then building tissue is going to be harder. So we have to be smart with that. Um, yeah. And yeah, you're right. With boxing, yeah, it, it's hard because we don't want to elicit too much of a hypertrophic stimulus. And um, that said, we just want to give them some form of stimulus, but you're right. It, it's hard yeah. because then we tend to go higher reps and then it elicits more uh, kind of metabolic stress on the system, which then, you know, potentially leads to an increase in, uh, in hypertrophy. So yeah, we do have to be quite smart with it all. Especially, especially for John, he puts on muscle just looking at weights. Oh, honestly, yeah, <laughs> I think uh, Tony did a post uh, this morning and he just called him the human tank. And uh, yeah. yeah, I think it was pretty accurate. Well, uh, Chris, did you start working with John? I can't remember before he went to super middleweight because that seems such a, I guess, a, a, a blazing light for all boxers about getting your weight right, doesn't it? Because it seems like he's been a completely different creature with those extra pounds, those extra eight pounds. It's really helped, John. And no, I can't say I did. I, I came in after the Nielsen fight. So uh, that I can't, mm. can't claim that performance. <laughs> that, was, that was all, John. <laughs> but look, I think it's just worked sort of, sort of hand in glove. It's been completely aligned of, you know, John's stepping up in weight and, 
you know, a lot of people have been been complimentary of the work that we've done, which has been brilliant. You being one of them, which is very much appreciated, Ed. But I think, mm. you know, yes, we have done great work. And we've also, at the timing is everything. And John stepped up in weight. He's that alongside, you know, being smarter with the nutritional intervention, the weight making strategy, and obviously the stressor and stimulus that we expose him to from a strength and conditioning and high performance point of view has just worked mm. really, really well with the great work he's already been doing with, you know, the captain of the ship, Tony Sims, who, who's, who's the governor there. So, um, yeah, I think it's all worked really, really well. And people said John wasn't, you know, he wasn't big enough to be a super middleweight. And I think now he has proved everyone wrong. And mm. the, the, I was saying now that that book is not, you know, the end, the end is not done. You know, there's still chapters mm. to be written in the John Ryder story. So we've still got a lot we need to achieve. Yeah. How did it, how did it feel for you after? Cause I remember texting you when the fight was made against Callum Smith, mm. the challenge where John was a big, big underdog and mm. partly, partly on the physical differential between the two, but obviously the, the pedigree of, of Callum Smith as well as a world champion. And you said mm. it's going to be a big challenge, but I remember you were gutted afterwards. I sent you a message to say, well done. Just on your part, obviously, mm. technically and tactically, it was a fine performance. But on the, the conditioning side of it, was John's engine throughout mm. was was phenomenal. That his his training and conditioning was obviously a key part of those tactics. What? How long did it take you to recover? And for uh, with a lot of us, with the with the judges and just the system of, of boxing, if it doesn't, if there's not a knockout, mm. how much? How long did it take to get over that? Because there's a lot of people, a lot of times, feeling a sense of injustice, isn't there? Because of the, the fickle, subjective nature of it. Still not over it. Um, no, no, no. I've got to be honest. No, look, it's it, you're right. Look, and then props to you know Callum Smith and his team. He's a great fighter, and uh, you know got a great champion. And no one gave us a hope in hell in that fight, Ed. Like, let's be quite frank and talk. You know, talk real here. Yeah. You know, no one gave John John a hope in hell. The only people who believed he would win that fight was his team, and we truly believed he would win that fight. Um, you know, people thought he wouldn't last three rounds, and we prepared meticulously. We all sacrificed a lot. You know, I moved in with John for two to three weeks prior to that fight. He moved away from his young family. We all made mm. sacrifices and we we believed, you know, we truly believed in every capacity, you know, from the game plan that Tony set, which was absolutely brilliant, from the physical qualities that we, you know, brought into play from a conditioning mm. and strength point of view. And then going into the Lions Den in Liverpool and, you know, everyone effing and blinding at us. I'll never forget it walking <laughs> out. It was such a, it was, it was a really, you know, cauldron. Yeah, it really was. And but then I turn to my left and I see Tony with his arm on John's shoulder and there's pictures to prove this. And I look at John and John is literally licking his lips, ready to get in there. And I'm I'm a bit like taken aback by the whole thing, to be honest. <laughs> but uh, you know, trying to hold it down, trying to stay poker face. But um, yeah, yeah, it was it was look, it was an incredible performance and there was times in that fight, look, Callum six foot three and a half, you know, huge super middleweight, John mm. five foot eight. He'll probably say five foot nine, depending on his footwear. <laughs> but um, yeah. he'll, uh, you know, there's times in that fight where John's in this, you know, boxer starts position. And you've seen some of the videos, Ed. And, mm. you know, we do these hand supported split squats in the gym with a safety bar. And John's, John's doing 200 kilos with that. And I'm thinking, there's no way Callum's going to be like pushing him back. John is so strong and so grounded. And it, it showed, I think, that mm. a lot in, in conjunction with his, you know, incredible conditioning levels as well and his desire to win um you know fed into a, a just a for me a career best performance that he just didn't get his just rewards for you know yeah no I felt he was very I thought he won the fight personally I think I was mm. you know I know Callum as well but I'm closer to John so maybe there's an emotional attachment to that I didn't do it round by round which I think the complexity of boxing sometimes mm. is that if people give a close round one way suddenly it can look like a relatively wide thing but I know John was particularly disappointed with one of the one of the scorecards. It's interesting though with, with with John though because he actually accentuated the height differential in a sense, didn't he? He came in low, he, exactly. he made it even more awkward for Callum rather than trying to negate that differential. And with that, with the team, with the the tripod, if you will, of you, John and, and Tony Sims, mm -hmm. do you do you speak to Tony about the approach he wants and then tailor mm -hmm. your your conditioning approach to it and, and knowing how John's going to be, how what his stance is going to be, and how he's going to attack in a fight. We do. We we identify obviously the you know the opponent first, and and then we do have that chat of you know tactics of, of what's going to in essence occur there. You know, with John and another one like like Conor Ben, for example. You know, his style of fight stylistically mm. he has a certain style that that you know we, we need to make him you know explosive and strong for. And you're you're completely right. So coming off you know centre line, getting deep into his leg position, being able to hold that low position as well. Is, mm. is going to be incredibly important that his legs don't fatigue 
Um, and yeah, that, so we do, we, we have that chat and then we, you know, put the, as I used the term earlier, reverse engineering the process and put the strategy in place to achieve the outcomes. Because if John doesn't have all the, any client who doesn't have the physical qualities and physical attributes that allow him to execute the game plan from himself and the boxing coach, then it's, it's pointless. So it needs to, you know, fit hand in glove mm. together. So, um, yeah. Yeah, you mentioned and, you, you mentioned Conor Ben there. How you, you've worked with him today, I understand, or remotely at least. What how yeah. how, how is how is he doing? Is he, he's quite bullish from the interviews I've heard on the on the on the radio. Although he's very keen to he's keen to wait until fans return, isn't he? Apparently, he's not he's not keen to go in Eddie's back garden just yet. Conor thrives off the fans. He thrives off the occasion and thrives off the you know the environment there. So yeah, I. I He's ready to fight. He's he's yeah. stage ready, you know. And uh, he says hello. By the way, I said I was going to feature on this, and uh, oh, yeah, he, oh, said, he said he said hello earlier. But um, yeah, Connor's been putting the work in. I have regular dialogue with him. He's again, you know, Connor and, and John and some of the other lads. They they do have these huge elite behaviours, and they just want to be the best they can. And I think Connor's yeah. improved fight on fight, and you know, he's potentially got a, a huge fight next fight as well. So um, yeah, he's he, he's ready. He'll be ready, and he'll fight fans or no fans he wants the fans there <laughs> he's uh you know he's a performer on the occasion and uh, as i say thrives off of having uh the fans there and being in the cauldron as, as you mentioned but uh, yeah you know he's a fighter at the end of the day and he'll fight regardless and the outcome remains the same we just have to control the controllables and also i'll touch on something there as well in regards mm. to me jokingly saying i wasn't over it i'm not over it because we put a lot into that that uh, smith rider fight but you know, no, yeah. sad, no sad grapes. We also dust ourselves off, realign our focus, and we go again when we get the opportunity. Yeah. So um, I, I thought I'd throw that in there. Yeah, no, I think the great thing for John as well, I think in a way he's a trailblazer. I've talked about this with, with other boxers, is that he, he had these, these losses earlier at, at British level at middleweight, mm. um, but has come back and actually hasn't got that onerous weight of the undefeated record on him. And I think he's, he's mm. shown that that's not really a, a, a kind of issue in the past. And hopefully he can... It can come through from that. When you work with different boxers, is it is it very different? The plan, the, 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 or are there fundamentals that you would say have a similar part of the program for John and for Connor, a super middleweight and a welterweight? Or again, would that be tailored more to their style and their and their natural physical gifts? Very good question, Ed. And the fundamentals do remain the same. You know, um, the athlete. We we need to look at the athlete and the styles of the athlete. So I'll bring someone else in, someone like Joe Cordina, who's yeah. You know, a very reactive, uh, very silky boxer. And mm. so then I'd say, well, would that athlete require loads of strength work, loads of high force, force dominant work? And I, I'd probably be along the lines of no, because of knowing him as an athlete, knowing his style, knowing his physical makeup and, and you know, characteristics, we mm. bias a lot more kind of reactive and, um, yeah, basically a lot more reactive and a lot, a lot more high-velocity power-based work. So, yeah. so, yeah, it feeds into the athlete. It can then also feed into the opponent. So Martin J. Ward, another one. Martin said – so I said to Martin when we first started, and he was – and he won't mind me saying it's quite – you know, he showed a bit of reluctancy – reluctancy initially to the strength conditioning program because remember this was quite in its early stages and people yeah. are still now buying into the methods and i said to martin i was openly honest as i am with all my fighters i said look you may not see the huge benefits of this in mm. camp one it's a process and it will take time and uh and he it was really good because we had about three four camps together anyway he says to me he says that you were <laughs> so right what you said to me in that camp because I now feel completely different. He said, I did notice changes in camp one, but now yeah. I noticed so much, so many more changes. And I actually thought of Martin earlier when I was, you asked me about, uh, about John and about, yeah. um, and I was saying about the hand supported split squat. Martin actually said a key point that, you know, earlier on in his career, when he's getting low and getting out of range and bobbing and weaving, his legs would be the, the limiting factor in fatiguing him. So he couldn't get down into those mm. those positions. And in essence, he then couldn't get down into loading into his backhand as much because he couldn't sit into the shots as much. Yeah. So this is where we say about the physical qualities feed into the performance. And and then he said to me, Dan, now I can literally sit there in a split squat position pretty much, you know, if we're putting it into context, like mm. 90 degree angles of both legs. He can hold that position for as long as he, he chooses wow. to, you know. Wow. So, yeah, so there, there's been real improvements from from some of the lads there. And it credits them and, and credit to Tony as well, you know, for buying into the methods. They, they've welcomed me into that team. And, and let's be fair, they had a winning team and a winning environment that they've had mm. for years with or without me there, you know. So, thankfully, I like to think I've put a little bit of 
maybe cherry on top of the cake, but the cake was there long before I got there, you know? Yes, it definitely was. And with that sort of relationship you have, obviously you and John put a lot in, you mentioned living together, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in, in a second and, and how much of a commitment that was on, on your part. But with boxers traditionally, and I'm, I know Ricky Hatton was on Sky Sports yesterday, there's been this sort of um, uh, intense camp and then blowout mentality. Do you have a conditional sort of contract with these guys that they sort of take care of themselves after the fight, don't go too wild? Or is it just when you talk about that cumulative development, they don't undo any of the, the good work? Or is it a case of you just work with what you have each camp? Yeah, we have, you know, some kind of unwritten rules, so to speak. It's obviously something that, in essence, the, the main goal here is to drive performance and drive human performance forward. So if they're going out of camp, Ricky Hatt and Starland, you know, completely ballooning up, well, that's going to be detrimental in them on a macro level, on a bigger picture for when they return. So then, in essence, if I've only got them for eight to ten weeks of a camp, the initial two to four weeks need to be getting some some tin off, you know. And yeah, that's, that's yeah. going to be counterproductive in terms of the focus. They need to be ready to attack camp right away. Yes, we go through an initial what we call GPP, general physical preparedness or preparation block of training, where we mm. do kind of higher repetitions, low to moderate load. And, you know, build some more aerobic base level fitness capacity. Um, but that block needs to be over within a couple of weeks. They need to be ready to get the ground running to focus on all of the other physical qualities that, that we need and that I've mentioned previously. So, um, yeah, we do set up a weight limit in between in between fights. And, yeah, we ask the fighters to adhere to it. And also these guys now, over time, they and I, I'm big on this edge. You know, I'm not just a. I had this chat chat with Connor today. We're talking about the difference between a trainer and a coach. And we're mm. saying a trainer, in essence, is someone who rocks up for an hour and trains you through that session. A coach yeah. is someone who coaches you through a process and is all in on that process. And I think you, you speak to any of my fighters and you've known me long enough to know I'm all in. You know, there is mm. no me dipping my toes in a little bit, you know, and then, then stepping away. I'm, I'm all in on this. And that comes from me having dialogue with my fighters out of camp as well not being a pest you know but yeah just checking in with them you know making sure they're you know if they need anything they're on track and if they want to be doing something that i can provide for them then i will but in the same breath we also from a you know from a psychological point of view we, we want them to disconnect and switch off and spend time with their family we just don't want it to be detrimental to the overall end goal of then coming back in and, yeah. uh, and being too heavy you know yeah it always struck me that you took that holistic approach as well because i know you would observe first and foremost about what the current training regimes were and indeed sleep and things like that were a big part of your your mm. overall look at it one thing that john mentioned to me and i heard carl frampton say something similar about how his hands had been almost forced to heal by the extra layoff uh, he was on a on the bbc podcast with bunsen costello the other day and john was mentioning it the same thing that some of the niggles had just ironed out because of the enforced layoff. Do you think there will be positives to that, that people's bodies will, will get a chance to reset? Because it's obviously a high impact collision sport when you're sparring and fighting. I think so. I think there's, there's huge positives to be taken for sure. And I think from, yeah, from an information point of view, from a niggles point of view, you know, these guys are in a chronic state of stress and we're constantly flirting with overtraining. Yeah. And um, <laughs> you mentioned there when I, when I went into this, this high performance program and uh, one of my first things I did was just literally sit on a ring rope and identify what their current training stressor was. Because in essence, if I had to come in like a bull in a, a China shop and said, oh, we need to add this, we need to do this. Well, these guys are on the on the, the verge of breaking down anyway. And if I'm mm. looking to achieve the qualities I'm looking to achieve from a physical preparation point of view, strength, speed, power, et cetera, that have high neural outputs. Well, if their central nervous system and their, their system in general is in a chronic state of stress, there's no way I'm going to achieve those peak levels. Mm. So um, a couple of the, the basic things I did initially was to, I gave them two, two simple things to do, optimize sleep duration and quality. And also purchase a heart rate monitor. Go away, go and do those. And then we've layered it from there over the last couple of years. And then, you know, if I'd have gone in, I had this chat with someone the other day, actually. If I'd have gone in and said, okay, I want you having 150 grams of protein a day. I want you having 200 <laughs> grams of carbohydrates. They would have been like, what the hell are you going on about? And, and I would, it would have been huge information overload. I'd give them six to eight things to do. They wouldn't have applied any of them. I go with one or two simple things of saying, okay, I need you having eight hours sleep a night. If you want to have a nap during the afternoon, don't have an hour and 15 minutes, have a 30 minute nap, you know, based on circadian rhythm, et cetera. Mm. Um, and then also just by heart rate monitor, just so I can understand from a physiological point of view, what you're getting out of your boxing sessions, what you're getting out of your runs, et cetera. Yeah. I can then take that information and data, and then I can influence the decisions moving forward of seeing what 
area we potentially need to improve on or what maybe we're getting a, a good enough stimulus from already in your training. Mm. And then, as I say, and then we can, and now, you know, I've got, you know, Joe Gordina, Martin J. Will, Connor Ben, they'll send, they'll send me all of their, and John Ryder, they'll send me all of their data from my fitness pal now because yeah. they're tracking their macros. They understand their protein. They understand when they need to increase carbohydrate intake around specific sessions where we do a high and low fueling strategy day. Because in essence, as you've alluded to there, Ed, is we're not just trying to fuel performance and drive performance. We also need to make weight. Otherwise, they're not fighting. Yeah. So we do, we adopt, there's a great paper from James Morton at LMJU University on uh, fuel for the work required, where he basically does high and low strategies. So let's say for argument's sake, Monday, Wednesday, Friday are sparring days. Let's say they're doing 10 to 12 round sparring. Well, we know that's pretty important in terms of the overall week. Sparring is the main thing. Yeah. We need to be fueled for that spar. So we'll increase carbohydrates around that session. And then maybe on a Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, there'll be our lower days, again, dependent on the training stress, but there'll maybe be our lower days that we can get through without being fueled to, to the top level, so to speak. Yeah, oh, great stuff. And, and, and with the, go back to the weight issue quickly, would you mm. advise, because obviously it's a, it, there's a sort of a, a kind of philosophy that's maybe dissipating a bit in boxing was always, what can you boil down to the day before a fight to make and be as big as you can on, on fight night. Would you, would you advise against that generally like severe weight cutting? Severe weight cutting. Yes. Our, our weight cut starts from the first day of camp. We have a strategy in place and we have, we map it out how much, firstly, where are we at from a weight point of view at that given point And where do we need to be from a, you know, 24 mm. hours pre-fight pre uh, or making, making weight point of view and how long do we have? We'll then strategize based on a weekly basis of where we need to be at the start of each week. Yeah. So that's when it actually starts. It's not a, oh, no, well, we, we've got a fight in two weeks' time now. Let's, <laughs> oh, yeah, let's start cutting weight, you know. <laughs> yeah. Because then it can obviously be, you know, detrimental to the health of the athlete, which is obviously one of our main main rocks anyway mm. so yes we want to fuel performance but the health of this fighter is 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 obviously paramount so um so yeah that starts very very early on and we have a strategy around that and that depends on the fighter that depends on their previous experience as well again this isn't a dictatorship we need to have that open line of communication with the fighter of what works best for them and then we can advise based on the, the you know the latest research the science and some anecdotal evidence that we've had with that fighter and our own experience moving uh, in the yeah. past to influence our decisions. So obviously getting a rehydration strategy in place post weighing is, is incredibly important as well, you know? Mm. Yeah, I just, I just wonder um, sometimes with the general thread, I've spoken to Tony Bellew recently, and obviously he contended at light heavyweight. When you look back at the pictures of how mm. sort of ashen and, and drained he looked, and then obviously John as well, that sometimes there's, a, there's an emphasis on what you can physically get down to and not what necessarily is your optimum, optimum performance level, maybe an anxiety about trying to get us to a, to a lower weight as possible. Is that something you've come across in, in boxing? Well, we, we've talk, spoken about stress, haven't we? So mm. stress is real and stress comes in a multitude of different forms. So in essence, if the fighter is stressing about making weight, the likelihood of them making that weight and, 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 and recovering from sessions and allowing these adaptations to occur to then reach peak performance is going to be a, a huge stressor in its own right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think, look, again, John struggled at middleweight but john struggled at middleweight when he didn't fully understand ways of cutting weight sure so you know and i i can't speak for tony belly who haven't worked work with him but um you know as you say aesthetically and visually he just looks completely different at that weight mm. and uh i, I you just got to buy into the methods and do everything right and if you, if you can do it great and if not then then you can't you know we we do get like fat max testing and things done that look at bone density, look at muscle mass, etc. that can then mm. pretty much give us a, a rough indication of whether this fighter can actually make that weight. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there, there is, yeah, quite a lot. To yeah. I remember Darren Barker said it was almost done by height. Like how tall were you? Obviously there's a lot more complexity stuff that you can't see. Yeah. <laughs> well, if yeah. that was the case, John, John would be, John, what would he be? A light middleweight? You know? Probably. Yeah. Yeah, first, yeah that'll be that be interesting interesting component go back to the sleep you say eight hours is that obviously it's not it can be uh unique to the the individual as well nuanced but would that be a general guide to, to everyone listening to the podcast would you think that would be a good guide to try and get that eight hour number i think if people want to yeah some basic guidelines around eight hours have been thrown out whether that's an arbitrary measure or, or not but eight hours for me personally and everyone is different eight hours works really well mm. i know if i get seven hours i'm all right anything below seven i 
you know, cognitively and, and output wise, I'm just not in the room, so to speak. Yeah. So um, everyone is different. Look, some people might be able to function on five hours, but based on bringing it back around to my athletes, there's a lot of research out there of um, increasing injury risk on lower sleep. I can't recall the exact numbers off the top of my head, but, you know, something like, for example, if you have seven hours sleep, you're X amount of chance for, you know, a non-contact injury, not a soft tissue injury, or, or sorry, it's a decrement in performance, a reduction in performance. Mm. Then if you have five hours, you see literally it just goes off the scale of like a 15% increase in, in performance decrement based on sleep mm. duration and quality. So um, I'll try and dig that out. Maybe you can attach that to the show notes. So I think yeah. I butchered that, that explanation there. But basically, the, to give you some context, <laughs> is l- less sleep can be increase in injury risk and definite uh, drop off in performance without doubt. And that's based on the research. Yeah. I'll put that on Twitter for sure. Cause I mean, that's something we've, mm. we've talked about in the past and one of the, the sort of challenges of, of working in sports broadcasting for me has been a kind of a, co- a conflagration of early shifts and late shifts, sometimes getting up at three mm. in the morning and, and a few days later going to bed at, at two in the morning. And I've actually found like we, we alluded to, you, you said the lack of commuting time. And for me, that added to the fact that, I've been working from home quite a lot. You can create more regular patterns. And I suppose for a lot of people, that's been an opportunity through this time who aren't necessarily getting back late from, from work, eating late. They can actually take more control in a sense, can't you, when you're in that, in that confined environment? I think that's a positive that we've all got through this time. And, and to be honest, it, you know, as much as it's, it's a global pandemic, it's, it's terrible. And you know, everyone's health is, is paramount. I, I wish everyone everyone you know positive health and positive outcomes there but as if we do have good health we've got two options we can either pivot mm. and thrive or we can succumb to the environment that 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 is upon us and i'm very much of the former there you know i want to control the controllables and i want to maximize each and every day and if you know going back to the training side if i can't you know do a trap bar or, or get some heavy weights and train the way i want to train well i'll have to pivot and adapt and see what i've got available to reach the outcomes that i'm looking to achieve mm. so same, same thing applies from a, a daily productivity point of view you know we have to create an environment that allows us to thrive and and something that i have with with my guys and girls and clients in general is we talk about our big rocks and our big rocks can be as simple as four big rocks training mm. nutrition sleep stroke recovery and then maybe mindset and once we then we kind of peel the onion back a little bit further we can then say okay training is the program aligned with the goal that i'm looking to achieve through this time yeah so then are you you know are you getting the correct physiological adaptation from the training as as we've mentioned or are you just training for training's sake nutrition you know are you mapping out your nutrition are you having fun in the kitchen at the moment while we've got more time to prepare your meals and eat with the Mm. family because that's you know you get from a physical, but also from a psychological point of view, you're getting huge benefits from that. Then, you know, sleep recovery. Well, that's something, as you've alluded to there, that, that can be optimized through these times. And I'm not speaking for people who've got six-month-old children. because, <laughs> But, you know. God, God help that, them, yes. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But that's something that can be, you know, we can have better sleep durations and hopefully better sleep quality and create a sleep environment. So that then feeds into we can recover from training better as well. So those there's those big three kind of fuel it, feed into each other and then you've got your mindset and the mindset is the one that kind of overlooks everything of saying i'm going to achieve something through these times and i'm not going to succumb to my environment yeah and then you can peel the onion back further and maybe then look at what am i going to achieve on each and every day and go through something like daily non-negotiables i call them yeah so some basic daily non-negotiables that i have might be again quite an arbitrary measure but ten thousand steps a day okay. so i know if i'm doing ten thousand steps a day I'm going to have to get out of my flat and actually, you know, get out, get outside, get some vitamin D, yeah. have some good headspace, and and also tick the box of the neat principle, non-exercise activity thermogenesis, and get get some steps in as well. So there's one. Mm. Another one might be, and this is very individualized to myself. You know, the viewers and can. Uh, <laughs> can come up with their own is uh, I, I do some mobility work every morning with a little bit of meditation. So there's no, you know, no external distractions, no phone, no mm. music. I'll do 10 minutes of my mo- movement prep mobility that gets me in, in the zone, if you like. Mm. Um, training is, is one of my non-negotiables. It's one of my big rocks. In fact, probably the biggest rock. So that happens every day in some capacity. Um, nutrition is another one for me, as mentioned. And then another one, is uh, no Netflix before 7 p.m. Ah. That's, <laughs> again, if we're talking productivity, yeah. I know if I'm, if I'm sitting there 
um, you know, watching Ozark at uh, at two o'clock, then I'm going to be I'm going to be five six episodes deep by six o'clock. I think. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, Ozark. I need to get into that one. Um, I was watching. Uh, oh, good. Yeah, we watched a few. Watched the Epstein documentary this week, which was a bit depressing, but it was. Uh, oh, do you know what? I, I started watching that. I got. About thirty minutes in, and I thought mm. I, I can't do yeah. this. I, you know, I'm big on what you and again, mate. Something to think about for everyone is like we're influenced by you know whether it be conscious or unconscious. We're influenced by what we absorb and see, and yeah. I just I don't like watching things like that because then it can influence my output. Yeah. Um, I know that's a little bit deep, but I, I try and watch more uplifting. Yeah, that probably probably really goes around that. Yeah, and how, what's your approach on that note been to the, the virus and consuming information around that? Do you do it in select sort of samples? Because I think there's been people who have been overloaded by by sort of wall-to-wall updates and, and, and felt very anxious because of that. Yeah, completely. I think we need to keep our finger on the pulse and be aware of what's going on. But in the same breath, there's so much negativity in the world at the minute for, on a number of scales mm. and I think if you yes we need to be aware and we need to control what we can control as individuals but we also we don't want to be succumbing to that negativity so to speak and just being influenced by that I think again I'm big on control the controllables so if we can control what we're doing as, as humans and individuals on a day-to-day basis then you know so be it I, I think that yeah you've got to be careful what we what we're influenced mm. by for sure and you mentioned the phone there actually which is a big part of everyone's life and a lot of people said to me that working at home there have been definite positives one difficult thing for them has been blurred lines between literally home and work and obviously the phone enables mm. a constant connectivity do you have discipline around that personally and do you have some sort of discipline and etiquette around that with your with your boxers because obviously they have to then that this is factored into sleep and, and rest as well i suppose and not being kind of awake and alert looking at looking at social media or whatever it might be yeah, look, I need to get better. You know, I'm not going to say I'll crack this air. <laughs> no. I, I try not to be on my phone. And it's something I actually have been very consciously aware of. You know, the whole blue light exposure before bed mm. is um, I, I will put a podcast and audio book on. I, I've been flying through the audio books actually through this time, which has been great. And the great thing about Audible is I can put my phone kind of away from me and then do like a 15 minute or a 30 minute sleep timer where it cuts out which is great yeah um so so that's worked pretty well for me and then that also means i'm not exposed to that blue light or i'm you know scrolling through social channels uh you know just before bed because i i obviously we know that that's not that's not positive um something i'd, I'd flip it back around and say in terms of people being on their phones and the, the segregate I, I try and segregate my flat and you know ah. move for example, like, you know, if I'm working, I know I'm blessed. I've only got a small flat, but I'm blessed to change the second uh, second room into an office. Yep. So I do all my work in there. So I know when I'm in there, that's my workstation, so to speak. So I can, because the problem is, and I'm sure, you know, the majority of people are struggling with this, is that they'll sit on their sofa yeah. and they'll be on the laptop and that will be their office. But then they'll have their Netflix on in the background or they have their, you know, their young children or family, you mm. know, in and around them. And they're not actually getting things done. And then it's like, it becomes nine o'clock, 10 o'clock at night. Well, the laptop's still on. So in essence, you're, you're thinking that you're still working. That actually productivity wise is, is probably next to nothing in terms of actually getting things mm. done. So what I would say, and again, try and find a space. Don't have yeah. This luxury. Yeah. Is try and find a space to say, that's where I work. I'm completely dialed in on my work when I'm there, mm. but then, you know, other areas of the, the house or flat might then be areas that mm. you, you sort even of if it, have it, some family time or have some yeah even time. if it's a corner of a room or, or something like that I suppose yeah. yeah and just I think that that works pretty well yeah no it's, it's it's fascinating the whole topic of it you mentioned the the galvanizing effect of this on people's interest in health generally one thing that's buoyed me is the amount of people I see jogging cycling there's clearly mm. an uptake and an awareness now that we can be proactive about our health and I think you know the, the sort of obviously there's been some startling numbers around the coronavirus but there has been a thread of generally people who are who are physically healthy have a better chance of staving it off do you think this will be a watershed moment because it's the fact it's gone on for a while seems that it it hopefully will have uh, have made more of an impact in, in a positive way in that sense i hope so i don't know moving forward because I, I believe people will probably fall back into a lot of people will fall back into their, the monotony of their day-to-day. You mm. use two words there, of proactive and awareness. And that's what we like to think will happen is people will follow a more proactive instead of a reactive approach to things and to fitness and health in general. I think 
you know, for someone who works in the health and well-being industry, it it could be a positive in the grand scheme of things because people are going to be more consciously aware of, okay, I need to build robustness, I need to be stronger, I need to be more aerobic and cardiovascularly fit. Yeah. That if something like this, and we're throwing a huge curveball as we all have been in this world of late, comes along again, that I need to be able to, you know, tolerate that because I don't want to be at high risk. So I like to think so. Nothing makes me more happy to i go for these little walks around bushy park near me which has been a, a nice park yeah, yeah. yeah it's beautiful and uh, especially when the weather's been lovely and i i see all of these people running it's it's so good to see <laughs> and these are people that wouldn't have been running before so i th- i like to think that they'll be able to kind of maintain it um i think yeah it's definitely raised awareness that that, that health is wealth mm. you know and no amount of money could could get someone out of certain situations they don't have you know the physical capacity or health to yeah to, to kind of overcome certain illnesses so i think there's huge positives that can be taken i just implore people to to continue with this moving forwards once you know the storm does pass yeah you know? and I, I sense that people are, as well are talking about potentially working at home more indefinitely even when they're allowed under, under mm. guidance to go back to an office they may actually ask to work at home and kind of a lot of people are kind of proven that they can they can do that, which could be a positive step towards, as we mentioned, commuting and traffic congestion and, and all those, um, those kind of factors. Uh, D- Dan, how have you handled the social side of it or the non-social side of it? Because that's a, a, men- a mental stressor, isn't it? Because you live on your own in, in southwest London, as I understand mm. it. Has that been difficult? I suppose as it's been relaxed, there's been more opportunities to at least see people from two metres or six feet, whatever you, whatever you call it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, I, I was talking to Connor about this today and I said, it's, it's a good job, you know, we're mentally uh, pretty strong and, you know, uh, thankfully my, my, my systems, my daily non-negotiables, my big rocks, all of these feed into me achieving more and getting what I need done on a day-to-day basis. So in essence, they, they allow me to be kind of mentally in, in a good place, mm, if I'm honest. Good. Um, and I was thinking if I didn't have those in place, I'd struggle it, you know, hand on mm. heart, I'm, I, you know, I'm single at the moment. I'm, I live by myself. My flat, you've been over there, yeah. is uh, there's, it's got like two windows and no garden or no ba- like balcony. Yeah, or not, not nice like normal times, but suddenly it changes, doesn't it? This dynamic, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, so that's where I say, you know, it, the Bushy Park walks have been a bit of a godsend for me because they really mm. have. If I didn't have those, like on certain days when the weather wasn't great and I maybe did, wouldn't get out then, you know, they, they were harder days, so to speak. And there hasn't been any real social element because, like I say, my parents are a hell of a lot older. I didn't see them myself quarantined for the first three weeks as a, a precautionate measure because, God forbid, if something did happen yes. to them, you know, and, and, and it was on me, yeah. you know. So after those three weeks, you know, I've been – it's a hard one. It's, it's kind of two sides of the coin of they need me more than ever now. I need to do their shopping. I need to do all of this stuff. But in the same breath, I, I don't want to expose no. them to – you know, potential illness. So I had been seeing them a lot more. And actually, that's been a huge one for me. You mentioned family time being a big one for you is that, you know, normally I'm, I'm chasing my tail <laughs> around London, there's zero time in in, in in my day in general, and actually going around there and, you know, sitting in the garden, doing a bit of work on my laptop and seeing my parents has actually been a, a real blessing for me mm. through these times. To oh, be good, good. Well, that's, that's fantastic. You've had that, that connection. I think it's certainly better you doing the shopping for them than them possibly going out their own. So I think that's probably mm. uh, minimizing the, the effect. And some of the footballers tests that have come back on coronavirus have been really puzzling in the sense that people have pos- tested positive or negative one time then positive a few days later and they said they've literally just been to the the petrol station or something so it's a wow it's a curious yeah, yeah really aaron ramsdale the bournemouth goalkeeper again it may have been a false positive as well we're not sure with some of the, the testings right. aren't 100 percent. they're testing thousands of footballers at the same time i guess what's your what's your hunch mm. down on when when boxing comes back and and how it looks so we've got you know, some potential mm. dates. Uh, I won't disclose too much, but, you know, there is going to be, well, I say I won't disclose too much. There's been, it's been out there on social channels anyway from Matchroom mm. saying, you know, Eddie's going to be having the, the fights in his garden, so to speak. And, you know, what level those fights are going to be, whether they're going to be huge title fights, I, I don't know. I think they're probably going to be more for the, uh, you know, the up-and-comers, yeah. so to speak. Um, I think there's going to be a lot more domestic fights. Look, it could be, let's flip it back around to John Ryder. It could be a positive in regards to, you know, Callum not getting a fight against one of the, you know, the, the so-called bigger or, boys yeah. Uh, in the yeah in the global world of being able to travel. So his hand may get forced to say, if you want to fight, well, look, public demand, which I'm sure want to see another John Ryder fight. 
Um, and it will mean that it stays within the guidelines that, that we're looking for as well, you know, mm. from, a, well, from a sort of COVID-19 situation and safety point of view. So so there, there may be some positives for some of the fighters in that regard. But um, I think we'll be out middle end mm. of July. I think we'll have probably a, a couple out then. So we're actively looking to start camp with, with a few of the lads now to continue and some of the work they, the good work they've been doing, you know, by themselves. So just good man. Well, well, good luck with those preparations. We kept you a long time, but uh, it's been a fascinating conversation as, as ever, Dan. Just points in the direction of, of where we can follow you more because it's great of you to to give this information. But and obviously, people may potentially want to hire you as a client or, or get information from from your great social media channels. Thanks, Ed. Yeah, it's uh, Perform Three Six Five, and uh, Instagram is probably the main the main channel that I'm quite active on there. Mm. And uh, post a lot, a lot about the fighters, and hopefully give some some little insights into some of the methods methods that we use with the lads. Uh, so yeah, no, thanks for your time, bud. And as ever, it's it's always great talking to someone who's got an, an invested interest or uh, an understanding about you know the physical preparation side of things. So uh, great. Yeah, no, it's it's great. I think it's it's amazing because I, I did sports science at Loughborough. I've done a couple of like I did a level two fitness instructors course last year. But mm. listening to you and, and just realizing how much it's developed, and I think with boxers as well, a general keenness and awareness of how important the preparation is it's, it's great for to hear your plans and, and the way they implement them and um yeah i'm looking forward to it to come back and as you say it may be some of the up-and-coming fighters but i think there's a there's going to be a huge appetite from fans for, for some kind of action so uh, let's hope it let's hope it really ignites next month yeah looking forward to it then you're right there's massive public demand and uh, appetite there for seeing not just boxing i think some live sport yeah. in general so uh yeah, it's going to be very exciting, and uh, the lads will be ready by the time uh, by the time we. Uh, we get yeah, I'm sure Eddie Herm will have a cardboard cutout crowd in the in the card in match room. Or, or <laughs> I'm sure Eddie yeah. will have something up his sleeve for sure. Been, yeah, <laughs> some fireworks, the backdrop overlooking London. Yeah, but, exactly. Dan, thank you very much. Go well, yeah. mate, and I'll um, I'll keep in touch and speak to you soon. Good luck with the boys. Likewise. Take care. There you go, Dan Lawrence, fantastic stuff. Uh, Perform 365, definitely if you're interested in health and fitness, training, conditioning, and just the kind of detail of, of movements as well, I think, which he alluded to there. And he's found that tricky, Dan, in terms of not being physically tactile with his clients and his boxers in particular, having to do it remotely through uh, video conferencing, Zoom, Skype, or whatever. But it, it's worth looking at those videos because they're very well shot and it's very easy to pick up the movements. And I think he's... Um, his meticulous approach certainly is is reaping dividends for people like John Ryder and, and Connor Ben, and I can see how that's a great peace of mind to fighters to have someone like that in your camp who's taking care of all the detail like that, giving you the confidence that your body is developing, and indeed through that your mind has that reassurance and confidence and sense of progression as well. Uh, but yeah, hopefully you found that interesting, particularly if you're interested in health and fitness and well-being, and like Dan's saying there, long may the the seemingly renewed interest in, in exercise that's, that's sprung up in the past couple of months as people kind of want to take charge of their health a little bit as it's under fire from the coronavirus, as it's kind of under fire regular times as well from, from flus, coughs and colds and, and all other kinds of ailments and injury. So it's always good to try and do our best to optimise our, our physical capacity and our immune systems and, and so on and so forth. So, um, yeah, great, great to hear from Dan there and do check out his content, Perform365, and follow his fighters, particularly Martin J. Ward, Connor Ben, and uh, you mentioned John Ryder there. And sense from John that maybe go out in July, but maybe not from Dan there. Interesting to see who does who does come out in those gardens, in the in the fights in the gardens at Matchroom Maskell's in, in Essex. Uh, so yeah, fantastic stuff. On the note of keeping yourself well, remember a 10% discount on supplements available to you at Cheltenham, uh, Cheltenham at Cytoplan co.uk cytoplan being a company based in welland outside of malvern uh, dealing in food state supplements particularly one that my father helps consult upon and design and is indeed a big advocate of is immunovite when the immune system is concerned it has vitamin c selenium and zinc selenium is one in particular he believes it's low in soil or there's certainly there's the, the stats suggest it's low in in soil in the uk so perhaps low in our in our cellular uh, health level as well because it's um, absorbed into the body from from our food so if you go to cytoplan.co.uk draper 10 d-r-a-p-e-r 10 capital letters for the my last name draper the number 10 you get 10 percent discount shout out to cheltenham uh bang and olufsen as well of cheltenham I said cheltenham about 15 times here haven't i bang and olufsen of cheltenham and serene av and uh 
get in touch with Jason and those guys through their social media and their website, uh, phone numbers are on there, so on and so forth, for consultation, any advice on home entertainment systems or any uh, kind of problems you're having with your existing equipment, I'm sure they'll be keen to help. And as I say, Jason Briggs, big Manchester United fan, hoping to get him on next week as well, talking about supporting them a little bit before the glory years of the 1990s and what his, uh, his earliest memories. He actually hails from Hale in Manchester, where Ricky Hatton is as well. Actually, you mentioned Ricky Hatton in the podcast there, uh, the former world champion. And uh, I believe he came from that part of uh, Manchester too. Or was that Hyde? Maybe I've got that mixed up. But anyway, um, there we have it, guys. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you enjoy it, please rate it on iTunes. We'll very much appreciate that. And get in touch with me if you like. Ed Draper underscore 81 on Instagram. Ed Draper 81 on Twitter. Love to hear from you. Anything you'd like to hear more on the podcast, anything I can do. Uh, yeah, be great. And I really appreciate you listening to the podcast. Thank you. Bye for now.